You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's Something to Talk About, we are at the end of uh, Luke chapter 17 here, and this uh, message focuses on the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus talks first to the Pharisees in this section and then to his disciples, uh, explaining essentially what will happen when on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So that's what we're talking about today. Hope you guys enjoy it. morning good morning <laughs> we are I almost said good mythical morning but that's a different i'm podcast, a fan so. i'm a fan of good mythical morning not sponsored but that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> so um we're back to normal this week we're actually on a normal schedule um ish for now for now <laughs> half hour off <laughs> half hour off it's better than two days off uh so let's get right into it we were in luke are we still in 17? Are we doing we to 18? Yeah, we're, we're finishing 17. up 17, we'll be in 18 right? 18 this okay. next week. We fi- finally got to the end of 17. 17 was a doozy. Yeah, there's a lot in there. And it, it's interesting because so much happened from 14 on that really um, connected together, all part of one big conversation. And then we get three different things, three different scenes that happened in 17. Uh, one is an extension of the previous chapters. And then the, the standalone event of uh, Jesus healing the 10. Uh, lepers and then um, and then at the end of 17 from 20 uh, verse 20 to the end verse 37 uh, Jesus is talking about uh, another subject that relates but isn't directly tied to it mm-hmm. uh, on on the coming of God's kingdom and so uh, it starts out in verse 20 with uh, Jesus being questioned uh, depending on your translation it might be rendered more interpretively to to point to the fact that these pharisees aren't they're not sincerely questioning because they want answers uh so much as as they've established over 10 plus chapters that they are trying to get to jesus so whether it's mocking or trying to trap him um, there isn't a level of sincerity in the questioning and so his response to them about when the kingdom of god would come is that, as we see in verse uh, verses 20 and 21, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, um, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And for a long time, um, I only could hear that in the King James, that the kingdom of God is within you. And the, the previous edition of the NIV, my preferred edition, by the way, um, renders that as the, the kingdom of God is within you. I like that better. Um, uh, I think it's a little less clear, though. The the reality of the Greek phrase is is that it can be interpreted as within you, amongst you, in your midst. Um, Here in the newer NIV, it says in your midst. It says among you in uh, the ESV and some other translations. And those can all be interpreted very different ways. They do have very different connotations to it. And, And I don't think, as I mentioned on Sunday, I don't think it's out of line for us to combine those meanings Mm -hmm. um, because whether he is intending to say, and it seems clear from the context that what he's intending to say is that the kingdom of God is here now in your midst among you, which is why I think the better translations are rendering it that way. Excuse me. But, um, but we see clearly from the rest of the new Testament that, um, this is an inside spiritual issue 
that gets dealt with. You're not a part of the kingdom of God because of your heritage. You're not a part of the kingdom of God because uh, you go to the right church or you have any external kinds of things, not because you're uh, of Hebrew descent or any of those, uh, those other outside qualifiers, but because you have been born again, as Jesus said in John 3, uh, because you have confessed with your mouth that, uh, that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. These are the things that, that join us to the church, that join us to the body of Christ. Uh, John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And in all of these connections that Jesus makes, there's a spiritual internal aspect of that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's, uh, and from the context and from the overall teaching of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, it doesn't and cannot mean that the kingdom of God is subjective, that it's all this this internal feeling kind of thing. And, and that's exactly what we've very often turned it into is what I believe, you know, and, and we talked previously about this idea of faith in faith, that, you know, if I believe enough, if I think positively enough, if I speak these things into existence, all of which is garbage teaching, and I, and I don't think I can say that disdainfully enough, that is heretical garbage contrary to Scripture. Uh, and if anybody is offended by that, please do email so that I can talk to you directly. Uh, I just really want us to understand that the picture that we have in Scripture about our salvation, about what God is doing, has virtually nothing to do with our feelings, virtually nothing to do even with our doubts, because we see this constant prayer of faith that has to do with dealing with my doubts. And even in the the story of the lepers, the the faith was in the action, and right. James brings that out. Paul, as he emphasizes the faith, still talks about action. He talks about Abraham being justified by his faith and then goes on to describe that through Abraham's actions. So it, it's not about feelings. There's no scenario where Abraham felt good about sacrificing Isaac. That's not it. Did he have questions for God? Of course he did. When he received the promise, when he and Elizabeth received the promise that God would make it, um, make them uh, make them parents of many nations, but make Abraham the father of nations. Through this child Isaac, when you know they're in their nineties, that doesn't really bring forth this great confidence. Right. Her reaction was to laugh, and yet Abraham, with all of the doubts and all of the lies that he told, because he didn't quite fully believe that God uh, could deliver him, all of the things that he did wrong, he's described very specifically and directly, uh, especially in Hebrews 11, but but throughout the scriptures, as a, a man of faith, the example of our faith, with constant doubts, constant feelings that, that he had to wrestle with, and yet knowing the truth, acting on what he knew, regardless of how it felt at the time. So all that to say, the idea that the kingdom of God is some subjective thing that has to do with you know, how I perceive things. It's whatever I want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, heaven is within you. There's no real heaven. It's, all, it's something that's in you, the way you feel about it. Whatever you believe about God, that's your truth. That is the farthest thing from the objective ontological truth that we see throughout Scripture. I hate that phrase so much, your truth. Yeah, and, and the only time that that really becomes valid is my truth or your truth is in the aspect that I embrace and accept that truth. So it goes from being the objective truth, which is already true or not, depending on what it is. So it's true or not, whether I believe it or not. 
it becomes my truth right. in that I wrestle with right. it and own it and embrace it and submit to it. But if your truth is the opposite of actual truth, then, then your that's truth is a garbage. lie. Right. It's falsehood. Right. And, and so <laughs> I was just listening to a Lacroix song in my car uh, the other day. Not Lacroix. Not Lacroix. <laughs> not, um, I don't even drink Lacroix. But it's, it's nasty. Uh, as as I'm listening to the song, incidentally, I had been listening to 90s country, uh, some old Christian metal, and some uh, instrumental jazz. Then I'm listening to Lecrae in the car. I'd switched out from Owl City to Lecrae. So anyway. Oh, Owl City. So anyway, but he's, he's talking in there about this uh, postmodernist idea. And one of the lines is something along the line of, uh, you, you know, you tell me there's no such thing as truth. Well, if there's no such thing as truth, then why should I believe you that there's no such thing as truth? This, the whole argument is illogical. It just doesn't fit. And we do that with the truth of the scriptures. So then we can, and, and we're dealing with this in so many levels, societally and even here locally, you know, the scripture means whatever I decide it means. Well, right. there's no other scenario of life where that actually works. The Constitution, regardless of what they're trying to say in the media a lot of the time, does not mean whatever I want it to mean. It means what the framers meant it to mean because they're the ones that wrote it. And it means that, only that, always that, without wavering. If you go to, to court, you know, which, who wants to do that? If you're dealing with... Nobody. <laughs> if you're dealing with tax laws or, or whatever else, there's... You don't get to interpret it however you want to. Right. It says what it says. The judges determine what the that end. interpretation is. If you don't like it, tough. It doesn't change the reality of it. And that's the same thing with the scripture. When God says, thou shalt not, or whatever he says in a modern translation. Hey, you. <laughs> when God gives a command... That's not a suggestion. It's right. not up to your interpretation. God says, don't murder. Therefore, you don't murder. And it's weird how it's... it's Whether the child is born or not. Right. right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's weird how some some of those... I mean, if look at the Ten Commandments because that's a very clear example to me. It's weird how it's easier for us to be concrete with some of those, but other ones, sure. well, it doesn't exactly mean this. Right. Well, then how can you say any of them? You know, you're not really giving yourself a firm foundation to stand on here when you're trying to adjust some of them. Right. But oh, these are okay, but these, meh. Well, and that's one of the arguments that gets made a lot in a postmodern world, and especially when it comes to issues of sexuality and, and, and morality in this moral revolution in which we're living. Uh, people like to say, well, you're just picking and choosing, you right. know, what you want to believe. And, you know, well, this command is here, and, and you're ignoring that command, but you're taking this this command. And this is why it's so important. We talk about this a lot. We really push this at Real Life, and, and, and I, I hope, I think we push it on the podcast. This is why it's so crucial for us to have a, a sound hermeneutic, a sound biblical hermeneutics. Our approach to interpretation has to be more than just randomly right. jumping on it from our perspective. We've talked plenty of times about the context of things it, and it, surround, the what's surrounding context it. Context is huge. Understanding the purpose, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the context of the author, the context of the writing, the context of the, the, the text or the narrative, right. the genre right. of it. Is, is this a command? Is it a promise? Is it a proverb? Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, and Paul, even in his letters, uh, in a couple of different places, says, okay, this is not the Lord speaking, this is me. Right. You know, this is my advice. Thanks, and, Paul. And while it's still inspired by God in, right. in Scripture, 
there is a different understanding of what the scriptures prior to that have said right. and what Paul is advising. And he wants to make sure that we see the difference in that. So when we see promises of God, we need to even with that understand the context of the promise. Mm -hmm. People so often want to take a, a promise that God makes to an individual or to a specific group, such as Israel or Jabez or whoever, uh, and then we want to turn that into something for us. We want to jump on this and, and claim these promises that God did not make to you. Right. God did not promise you what he promised to Abraham. That was a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to David. That does not mean he made that promise to you. And so we need to be able to see the context. Is this a general promise? Is this a promise to a specific group? Is it a promise to a specific group that then applies to a larger group? Is it a promise to an individual for an individual situation? Because some promises that he makes even to, say, David or Solomon or whoever, don't apply to every situation that they do. Some of them are even conditional promises when he talks to Israel and says, if you do this, then I will do that. So there are a lot of things that if we don't get the context right, then we will dramatically misinterpret what the Scripture is teaching. And because we are mentally and intellectually lazy in our society, a lot of the time... And even more so when it's biblical, we take our worldview, our framework, and we try to force that onto the text. So, for example, you know, we throw away all of the the you know sexual norms that have been, that have been mm -hmm. our, or sexual mores, I should say. And some of those are societal, okay, but much of those, even on the societal mores, have been things that have come from the scriptures. If we don't know where they come from, if we don't know what they are in the Scripture, then it makes it really easy to, to wiggle on them. Mm -hmm. Once we see that in the Scripture, then we have a choice. Am I going to reject it or accept it? And if I'm going to reject it, then I have to make a choice. How am I rejecting it? Am I, am I rejecting that it actually says that or actually means that? Or am I rejecting the authority of the Scriptures which I'm reading? And that's where a lot of the feeling things come about. To come back to what we were talking about on Sunday, this stuff that Jesus is saying here about the kingdom in your midst or within you is not that. Right. It's not a matter of you get to interpret it however you want. That's never the case. That can never be the case. It doesn't fit with any of the truth claims that the Bible makes. So the, the reality is the reality. What you do about it is important in that it affects you and those around you. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't change that reality. Only God creates. We only create as derivative of God. So we can't speak things into existence. I can't believe things into reality. They either are or they are not. My prayers do not create reality. My prayers appeal to my father, God, as his child. If I'm not his child, then why does my father care about answering his prayers? So that's where you know a lot of people will have no relationship with God at all and then wonder why God doesn't answer their prayers because he doesn't know you or more specifically you don't know him you're a stranger when kids on the street come up and want to borrow my car the answer is going to be no because you're not my kid you that's not it but if my son says hey can I borrow the car sure because I want you to to have this it's the relationship that matters because he doesn't get to wish that into existence the kids that come up on the street, don't get to wish that into existence. Why would they wish for my car anyway? They wish for a better car. But as they're, as we're seeing all of these matters of faith, it's not 
the subjective stuff that we've tried to make it into where and it's not the external stuff that we've done for centuries to to create uh, this religion that that forces God's hand or whatever else in this passage from uh, 1720 to 1737 as Jesus is addressing the kingdom of God he says to the Pharisees who are accusing him it's not what you think it is it's not that sort of observable then he turns to his disciples and says but it will be it's going to happen that way. It's now, and yet it's not yet. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's something that, that the, the tension that we live in as Christ followers, we are citizens of this now and not yet kingdom. We're participating, participating in a now and not yet reality. And that who we are is not completely and fully who we will be. Our identity has changed, and yet we are in process in our sanctification in the same way that that this kingdom is it's inaugurated with christ on the earth and we see this uh, some will place the inauguration at the transfiguration some will place it at the at the cross and resurrection regardless of, of where specifically the the earthly ministry of christ john announces christ christ announces the kingdom as they're doing this together repent the kingdom of god is near that message doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So we're in that present reality of the kingdom, and yet there is a future reality of the kingdom that Jesus describes uh, to his disciples. And, and he'll go into more detail about it in chapter 21. Uh, we see that in Matthew and Mark, drawing out the, the signs of the times, what to look for, and all that kind of stuff. He's not really doing that here. What he's saying here is, understand there is a coming. I will return, and when I return, Everybody's going to know it. It's not going to be a question. It's not going to be some teacher in a compound in Texas saying, I'm the Messiah. It's not going to be some Jewish rabbi saying, I'm the Messiah. When I return, it's going to be like lightning flashing across the sky. It's going to be like, you know, when you see vultures in the air from far, far away, you know there's a dead body there. That's what they're doing. So that whole idea of, you know, maybe the Messiah, there have been a bunch of novels written about, you know, Jesus returning as you know, just a regular guy and hanging out like Michael Landon in Highway to Heaven, you know, is an angel walking around. I just saw that on Amazon Prime the other day. So anyway, it was all of those ideas. Michael Landon's, of course, an angel in that situation. It's like Michael with John Travolta. Which I've not seen, but I remember the commercials for it. But there, but you know, and usually, almost every time they have those things, there's theological right, right, issues. Right, right. But nonetheless, it's not we're touched that. by an angel. It's, it, yeah, very, very much like that. And and just for the record, since we're talking about it, people who die do not become angels. We become like angels in that we are spirit at that point and not bodies until the resurrection. But we are not angels. We are created a little lower than TV the angels. TV is not real. TV is not real. It's not what? the best place to get your theology. You might want to actually look at the scriptures. But anyhow, as we, as we see this, Jesus is saying, when I come back, there will be no doubt. There will also be no second chances. There is a sudden and final element of this and he compares it to uh, Noah and Lot in those days when everybody's going about their business and then the judgment comes mm-hmm. and you can scoff at it no what are you building a boat for we haven't even ever seen rain before what are you even talking about and you're building a boat and you're not by the ocean you're not by you know what's happening until the rain comes and only eight people are in the boat and everyone else is destroyed 
So there's a rejoicing for those eight people, and there's a horrible, terrifying tragedy for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Lots the same way. You're in the middle of of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah have been warned. We've, you know, they're just in this horrendous decadence, and um, and God's bringing down judgment on them. And the moment that Lot flees the city, the judgment comes, and everybody's wiped out. Great rejoicing for Lot's family. Horrible, horrible wailing for everyone else. And, and Jesus makes that comparison. This is going to happen unexpectedly, suddenly, when you're not looking for it. So be ready all the time. And he uses several parables in other places to, to establish that. Be ready. Don't think you're going to just clean up your act. I'm going to do whatever I want to do and then repent later. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to sin now because God forgives everybody. Right? That, that's the, another heretical lie that we get to, uh, told all the time. Well, God just forgives everything. No, he doesn't. Show me a scripture where it says that, because it doesn't say that. In fact, what it says instead is that when we go on deliberately sinning, there's no forgiveness left. There's no, no, no sacrifice for sins is left because we've trampled the Son of God underfoot. At that point, it's not that we don't sin, mm-hmm. that we don't stumble, that we don't make bad choices, and even occasionally see a sin and choose that right. sin. But it's not. there's no forgiveness without repentance. Right. And, and it's if, not repentance. And if you know if you're going to do that again, right. then it's not really repentance. Right. Repentance is a changing of my right. mind. I didn't change my mind. Right. I went into this saying, yeah, God's going to give me a pass. Right. That's not so how I'm this works. So I'm going to do it works. again tomorrow. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Right. So Jesus is giving a warning in this that judgment will come. This isn't it, but it will come. Mm-hmm. And you won't be ready for it. So be ready for it. Then... There's also the hopefulness that he gives along with this, that with all of the garbage that's going on in this life, remember that he's coming. And when he comes, as we'll see elsewhere, when he comes, he will establish the new heavens and new earth. And the book of Revelation goes into great detail uh, about that. The book of Daniel establishes the things that will happen leading up to that. book of Isaiah and, and, and other places in the prophets, but I think Isaiah brings it out most clearly. Uh, this this new kingdom, the manifest kingdom of God that will come. Not this spiritual kingdom that we're in now, that's the, our present reality, but the physical, actual, uh, literal. some would say literal um, manifestation of the kingdom with the new heavens, new earth, all that's old wiped away, all that is not eternal, all that is not perfect, all that is not of God burned up. When that happens, all the junk that we face, picture whatever it is that makes this life bad that all goes away well and getting a little deeper into that we had a question a little bit about that but you said something on sunday that this world has been stolen Hmm. from jesus and you know it's kind of it's it's difficult to think about sometimes because you think god is in control of everything but at the same time right now it feels like satan is totally in control of this world yeah and and without really sitting down and breaking that down, I may need to apologize for that <laughs> phrasing. That was a rhetorical Sorry mechanism to, bring it up. That, to, to get that point across. No, I uh, think it made a, a so good point. The idea of anything being stolen from God is is sort of, uh, you know, we want to call it metaphorical or allegorical. So, Sorry these, to call you out. No, no, I thought I, it was no, a good point. No, that's right. I just don't want, to, I don't, <laughs> right, I don't right. want anybody to be confused as if God was powerless right, to, for the, right. to stop Satan from doing what right. Satan like, did. Oh, no, he's still... <laughs> Anything that the devil does, and this is hard for us to grasp, hard for us to accept. It's, I think it's harder to accept than it is to understand. Anything 
that happens, including sin, God did not God did not choose to stop it. And he could have because he's God. So the confusion is why? And that's not, that's above my pay grade. Right. You know, that, right. that's beyond my ken. That is something that God alone answers in his sovereignty. Um, and so what he does on his side of the curtain, uh, I only understand in part mm -hmm. to the extent that he tells me. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't tell me, I can't, I can't say, I don't know. But I know on our side of the curtain, life is junk. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've got so, and, and not always, because I, I mean, I saw the beauty of a newborn calf nursing at his mother the other day, and it warmed my heart. Uh, I saw, you know, after a, this rainy, gloomy time, the sun comes through, and everything just seems to have color all of a sudden and, and pop. There is great beauty in this world, mm -hmm. and, and the, you know, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. This is a, a beautiful wonderful creation and we're but not it's corrupted all, by right. sin and we're not all miserable all the time no no <laughs> and we're not all as miserable as we could be right and that's right. very uh, it's a very clear i think maybe it's not as as clear as i as i feel like it is but that seems to me to be a very clear picture to help us understand the nature of our depravity as well we're not all of us are depraved so the the doctrine of total depravity is that all of us are stained. Every part of what we do, every part of our thinking, every part of our existence is stained by sin. It's corrupted, depraved by sin. That doesn't mean that we are as fully depraved as we could be, mm -hmm. or that we everything we do all the time is fully depraved. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing that we do that isn't touched by that. Right. So when, you know, we've talked a lot about marriage and sexuality. Sex is an amazing, beautiful thing. I was talking to my 12-year-old daughter about this recently, you know, trying to explain things because she's hearing, you know, <laughs> hearing Christian podcasts talking about all of the junk going on in our world. And so, you know, we're having a conversation about this and, and, and I'm explaining to her, this is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing picture of God and his people when it's part of the covenant relationship that God has, has given to us. But we've turned it into something really corrupt so that now, because of sin, because of that depravity that we have, even in the best scenarios, there's still a certain tainting in our minds. It's, we can't really fully pull back from the world's filthiness. So even when it's pure, there's that shadow in there somewhere. That's not how anything will be in the new kingdom. There won't be those shadows. There won't be any place of darkness left. And that's where we can find hope in a hopeless world, even when we don't see things change, when we don't see our situations get better, our circumstances get better. It's in the knowledge that we're not made for this world. We're not living for this world. And when he comes back, everything changes. And as Paul said, what happens then, the glory that will be revealed in us at that point, the, all of this stuff we face now, not worth comparing. The worst scenarios, the atrocities that have happened, the genocides that have happened, the, the, the betrayals, the personal relationships that have been destroyed, the abuses, all of the horrible sicknesses and, and you know, mustard gas and World War I and, and you know, the, the Holocaust, all of these things, not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. That's why the coming of Christ, the promised and sure coming of Christ offers us hope. 
I was going to say gives us hope, but really we have to take hold of that hope. Mm -hmm. It's being handed to us, mm -hmm. and if we don't take it, then it doesn't do right. us any good. But it offers us hope in a world that would otherwise be hopeless. An atheist, it, boy, it, it's a tough place to be. I was just I having this conversation that, yeah. with my mom. Man, if I believe that there's nothing bigger and everything is just only material, that's all there is. Then what's the point? Well, doesn't and not to promote it at all, suicide is a horrible, heinous thing. But if I have no other hope and I don't believe anything happens beyond the grave, good or bad, it's just over, then when my life feels miserable and I don't see a way out of that, then why not just end it? Why, Logically, that fits the worldview. But, of course, within us, there still is a drive for life, a, a, a Van Gogh-like lust for life. So Even with atheists. Right, absolutely. It's really hard to get past that. Right. So I have to talk myself into those other worldviews. Anything that is apart from what God has for us, I, I want to reject the things of God because of the sin that's, that's in me, whether I admit it or not. And yet I still hunger and crave the things of mm -hmm, God. Mm -hmm. And I have to convince myself mm -hmm. otherwise against that. It's, it's a strange conundrum that we're in as fallen beings in a fallen world. But as you just said, and I think this is one of your points on Sunday too, the bottom line here is that we can be encouraged by, by the coming of Jesus. And, you know, you hear the word, you know, revelation and, and all everything that's happening in there. And it's, all, it's easy to feel a little frightened by the imagery and just like, oh my gosh, is this really what's going to happen and whatever. Yeah. But as Christ followers, I think as hard as it might be to wrap our minds around these concepts and these images, that is encouraging because yeah. especially when you feel like this life is kind of garbage <laughs> or a lot of things in it is, is just, are just unimaginably hard. But it's not over. Right. And, 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 and that's when you look the, at we the know what the score amount, is going to be right. at the end. In the meantime, it, it's, it's, it's a lot like watching a, a football game or a basketball game or whatever that you are, it's already over. You've recorded it, right. and I'm, I'm watching it, but I already know how it turns out. Right. So I don't get the, the same ups and downs, the highs and lows, as I do if I'm watching it live, mm -hmm. and I don't know how it turns mm -hmm. out. That same anxiety that goes along with that, it, I still can feel emotions, mm -hmm. but it's not the same amplitude. It doesn't, it doesn't get as crazy when I know whatever just happened, my quarterback dropped the ball or whatever, I know how it ends. So I can relax. God gives us that in life to be able to relax, to say, okay, I get it. And, and we work as Christ followers to make this life the best that it can be as God's stewards, right. as, his, as Christ's ambassadors. We're here to represent him in this world. It's still his world. Satan has authority here, but only essentially, if you will, by squatter's rights. Right. He's here doing his work, and he's allowed to do his work because God is allowing him. And he's doing that. as much as he possibly can. He sure is, and he's working to destroy it. Right. Our job, then, is to be here in the dominion and rule that God has given us, bearing his image, to make sure that his kingdom is represented here and that we are working to end injustice, to, to show the character of God in how we uh, interact with the world around us. But we're not made for this. It doesn't end here. It continues. And that's why, you know, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians in particular and in a number of other places, Paul will, will use phrasing like, as he says in, in 1 Corinthians, 
I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, um, encourage one another with these words. He's talking about uh, the, the second coming. He uses encouraging type words in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the resurrection. So knowing the future that we have, mm-hmm. be encouraged, encourage one another, build one another up because you understand more. There's more to this. When we take those things out of the church, when, when we don't teach that Jesus is certainly, definitely coming, when we don't teach the reality of the resurrection and, and our coming resurrection, then we're not presenting the whole gospel. We're not presenting everything that God intends for us to know. Therefore, we have a weakened faith. That's why we see people turn away from the faith because we don't have the roots into the whole thing. We've just got shallow roots because we've gotten some inspirational, fluffy kind of thing. That's why we see churches that are are abandoning the commands of Scripture because we haven't put down roots as lay people, as the masses, or even as clergy in many of these situations, into the fullness of the Scripture where we can look at it and understand what God is saying. Then we make ourselves much more easily led astray, much more easily discouraged, much more easily despairing, but when we grasp the whole counsel of God, not perfectly, but increasingly, diligently seeking God's heart, nature, character, and will through the reading of his word with a sound uh, understanding of, of all of the things that make it what it is, then we don't get rocked. We don't get tossed about and we can have hope in a hopeless world. I think that's a good place to end. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you next week.